Do you remember the first car you bought or owned was given to you? Mine was a 1962 Buick Skylark four-door, of all things. That's my second car. I'll get to that one. I bought the Skylark through my friend's neighbor, Vinnie DeVarco. That alone is a fun story. I survived the exchange. That car rusted out a lot, and so I got my mom's... Seven, now, doesn't that not scream the 70s or what? That's a 74 uh, Chevy Impala. Uh, my mom's car, she had it, and it rusted like crazy. Um, but that, is a, that, that, car looks way, that car looks more like the color that my car ended up being, that 70s green that it was. Well, it was rusting out so bad. In fact, if you go back in Consumer Reports and you look at what they do for how cars work with their mechanical body integrity, there was something with General Motors paint that year where it just messed up the cars. So the paint was peeling off of it, and I thought, you know what? I want to I strip the car, and with my friend Larry, we'll strip it down, we'll sand it, we'll get rid of the rust, and we'll paint it. And so I hadn't been married, Susan and I hadn't been married for maybe a couple years, and my father-in-law just said in his quiet voice, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. it. It won't be worth your time, it won't be worth your money. So he laid that in my lap, and I pushed it aside. Nah, Larry and I could do it. Well, of course Larry wanted to do it. It was my car, not his. So I took that Impala an hour north of where Susan and I were living to Larry's house, parked it in his garage, and we began the chore of, of uh, stripping it down and taking off the trim, and we took off the windshield trim and cracked the windshield. Well, now I messed up. So go to the junkyard, get a windshield, because we got to replace the windshield, put it in the yard. Well, it's kind of that concave thing, fried the grass in the yard at my best friend Larry's house. So now I'm out money and time, and my, I've ticked off my best friend's parents. And that car was there so long that I finally said to Larry, forget it, let's just finish painting it. Well, you know, it's in his garage, it's a Chicago summer, it's humid, the paint job was awful. And everything my father-in-law said was true. I was a living example of what Proverbs 19.2 says. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. <laughs> I was a living example. If you look up Proverbs 19.2, you'll probably see a picture of that car next to Proverbs 19.2. <laughs> I was excited. I couldn't wait to get started. But it didn't take long for my lack of experience and my lack of thorough planning to come through. I didn't realize how much more I th it would cost me than I thought initially. And Susan and I were both working two different jobs. She was a nurse, different shifts. We were down to one car. That drove us crazy. That car was a 70 VW Bug. That's a whole nother story. And so all my enthusiasm in the world couldn't, couldn't do, would not do well without thorough planning and even just someone around with the wisdom and knowledge and experience to walk me through. But I had it. I'd had the wisdom given to me, and I set it aside. Zeal without wisdom just doesn't cut it, which is why I think there's wonderful synergy between generations. I know I benefit from the energy of the younger generation, and I believe they benefit from some of the experiences like that that I've had. Because if my son-in-law were to say to me, what do you think, I would repeat the words of my father-in-law. Though wisdom was given to me on a platter by him, I put it aside and went my own way. And in a few months, it became clear that it took more money and more time than I thought, and the end result was horrible. 
I wish I could find the old pictures of it. You would laugh more at the pictures of the paint job than what that car looks like now. I needed wisdom then, and I need it today. The same is true for all of us, which is why we're going to focus on wisdom primarily through the book of Proverbs this whole month. Proverbs really is just a compilation of wise sayings um, that were primarily written by King Solomon, who ruled in Israel from 971 to 931 BC. He is known to have written over 3,000 Proverbs and sayings and over 1,000 songs. What I think is amazing is how relevant those Proverbs are today about 3,000 years later with cars and technology. Now, it wasn't unusual then to find other compilations of wise sayings in maybe neighborhood, neighboring countries. For example, the Egyptians and the Assyrians had their own collections, and there were actually some similarities across, across both of them, and that would be because God's wisdom is available to anybody. But there was a difference, and there is a difference with the book of Proverbs. Because Proverbs says that wisdom has a source, and that source is the one true God. Not a variety of gods or goddesses or certain special human beings. The source is God himself. Solomon says that very early on in the first chapter and repeats it often. The phrase, the fear of the Lord, is what you'll see throughout the book. He says in 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Now, this isn't the kind of fear you and I think of when we stand before a roller coaster for the first time or a haunted house at uh, Halloween or where we're shaking in our boots or we're cowering in a corner. This fear more aptly describes proper respect and reverence and honor and awe. Simply put, it is trusting that God is the one that is always wise, always knows best, and is always trustworthy. So always wise God, that's who I put my trust in because that's where the foundation of true knowledge is. It's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 resonates with me, and I would imagine many of you, how, whatever version you may be, have memorized it if you grew up in the church setting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Remember? Because he's always wise. He always knows best. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we'll see the, the author use a literary style where we, don't, we won't find that in a history book, certainly in a language book. Um, that history style uses one contrast after another. And in, in those contrasts, the author shows the difference between people who have this posture of trust and fear in the Lord, who make wise choices, and those who don't, who make foolish choices. As we read, it will be good for us to remember then that a proverb itself can be described in these ways. First, it's a wise, practical saying that can guide one's life. Real simple. Secondly, a proverb is often short and easy to remember. And they can be memorized and brought to mind, which was good. Remember, back then, people didn't have books like we have. It was a great way to, to take in something wise and recall it when we needed it. You and I know all kinds of phrases 
um, that, that, uh, that we can call to mind. I'll start them, you finish them. If you don't know where you are going, Lewis Carroll, any road will get you there. We've heard that one. How about this one, Walter Scott? Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. How many parents were told you, told your parents, your parents told you that one? Uh, Thomas Edison said, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. perspiration. Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. said, the time is always right to do the right thing. Now, our family had our own proverbs, our source. They were from Nana. I'll call them Navverbs. There's Nana. Looks like a happy soul, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> she is 100% Armenian. She raised five daughters, and the one with the lighter skin is the daughter-in-law. My mother is the one in the center with the largest hairdo. She stuffs stuff in there. I don't know. <clears throat> but Nana would give her Navverbs every time the grandkids came, every time we visited her. It doesn't matter when or what. We usually went to her house for lunch every other Sunday, sometimes more often, obviously the holidays. And I'd said last year a couple of these. She would say these to us before we left. Things like, don't dirty your shoes. It's memorable. And like a proverb, if you take it at face value, you miss it. What she's saying to us was, don't go where you shouldn't go. Since the other thing she would say is, don't hang around. Because in her mind, if you were hanging around, you were hanging around with the wrong people and getting yourself in trouble, and you were dirtying your shoes. <laughs> on some Sundays when I'd be over there, and I'd be tired because I'm a teenager. I was up late on Saturday with my friends. A lot of times I'd be out with my friends, and then at midnight I'd go to my cousin's house. We'd order pizza at midnight. So by the time I get to grandma's after church on Sunday, I'm yawning and I'm tired. And what's wrong, Robbie? So I'm tired. Eh, good time brings bad time. <laughs> so in her mind, she, so those were the noverbs that we had. By making those short and memorable, I still remember them to this day. They can be recited and recalled when needed. So a proverb is a wise, practical saying. It's often short and memorable. And third, it also uses comparisons and contrasts. Most often, the, the, the way they use comparison, he uses comparison and contrasts are like this one. The wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. And it goes, that back and forth style of writing is the most common one we see. On other occasions, the proverb will repeat itself using similar wording to add emphasis such as this. You simple people use good judgment. You foolish people show some understanding. Though there's a difference in the proverb's mind when the, pro the author speaks of the simpleton and the fool, they're both being called to use good judgment and wisdom. And so as you read the book of Proverbs, which is unlike a novel, a history book, you will see comparisons and contrasts throughout. And lastly, the fourth thing I want to highlight about a proverb and the book of Proverbs is this. The Proverbs are generally true. They're generally true. For example, we might say the phrase, many hands make light work. That's almost always true. For example, like next Sunday afternoon, when we flip the building for Grace Kids Camp 
And if we, if we had many hands, hint, hint, not so subtle, we get it done faster. And it is great when we see everybody work together and one person doesn't get burned out because many hands make light work. That's generally true, except there's another one that's true in different circumstances. We say too many cooks, spoil the broth or whatever. Don't mess with the cook or the cook's recipe. So while many hands make light work is generally true in a different setting, it's not so much true. And we say this because, um, for example, we read Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 is generally true. It's not a promise that's unbreakable. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Generally, when children are raised in a loving home with healthy disciplines and wise choices, they grow into mature adults who do the same. Raised to know and love Jesus, they grow to know and love Jesus. But it's not a money-back guarantee. Excuse me. Eventually, they have the freedom as they become adults to make their own decisions, and sometimes they aren't wise ones. That's the heartache we parents and grandparents face. But there is a promise we can cling to. This one I love and will never forget. For the Lord is good, promise. His love endures forever. That's a statement of his character. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We could take that to the bank. Year in and year out, God is faithful no matter what happens to us. We may see things in our world today and say, our world is so messed up, there is no chance for our kids, especially if they walk away from church. But I can go back to that promise and say, it may be different today than it was when I was a kid. It may be harder than, than I think it, it, could, it needs to be for the next generation. And there's no chance for them. But no, God is faithful and can, his faithfulness continues through all generations. That psalm reflects the character of God, which doesn't change, and I can cling to it. And I can tell you story after story, after over 40 years in youth ministry, where, where parents would lament and, and, and wrestle with God, and I get it, and just wonder and wonder. And years later, some, they would find life change in their, in their child. I've seen the same thing even in my own family. When I was about eight years old, my, my brother and I would often spend time at my grandma's house. That was Nana. We'd spend time at my dad's side in grandma's house. And there was grandma and grandpa. And my dad was the youngest, so they were, they were much older, but they still could take care of us. So it was grandma and grandpa, that was my uncle Archie, he was single, Art, and then there were my two developmentally disabled aunts, Shirley and Muriel, about a two and a 13-year-old developmental capacity. Now every Sunday morning, if we spent the weekend and the weather was nice, we would walk with grandma to church. But Archie never went. And for, grandpa was too old to walk and whatever, but grandma would say to me, I'm like eight years old, please pray that your uncle Archie would give his life to Jesus. She'd ask me all the time, maybe you should ask him to go to, it just was so on her heart. Grandma and Grandpa loved Jesus to their last breath, but he would never go. And the years went by, and though he was a man who provided for his family, never came to Christ before Grandma passed. 
grandma passed away, and sometime down the road, I'm at a golf benefit that was very expensive, and Uncle Art paid for me to go, and my cousins were there, so my uncles were there, and I was thanking my Uncle Art. I said, Uncle Art, thank you so much. There's no way I could have been able to afford to do this and be with you all, and he grabbed my arm, and he said, no, thank you. I'm going to get all choked up. I didn't think this. Because you did what God wanted you to do. You met Roger in college because you followed what God wanted you to do. And by coincidence, I met Roger's brother, Paul, at the place I normally went to lunch, and Paul led me to Jesus. No, thank you. For God is faithful through all generations. Grandma didn't see it. She prayed it to the end. And Archie stayed single until Grandma, Grandpa, and his sisters passed away and got married for the first time at 76 years old. What do you bring to a wedding shower for that? <laughs> but I know this, if I understand what the scriptures say. He had given his life to Jesus. He's now in heaven next to grandma, next to grandpa, and how many others? The Lord is faithful through all generations. And once again, I come back to the Proverbs in 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. As we study the book of Proverbs, we'll see it's not like reading a novel, like I said, a history book or even a letter. And we won't get far before we see Solomon actually framing this in a conversation like from a father to a son or his children. For example, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, My child, listen when your father corrects you. He'll use similar phrases like that further on in the first nine chapters of the book until really it just breaks out into one line after another, one proverb after another. He says, for example, in chapter 2, my child, listen and treasure my commands. My child, never forget the things that I taught you. My son, pay attention to wisdom. We can envision a heart-to-heart -heart talk between a parent and a child. Um, that maybe can fuel our imagination today and for the rest of the series. But might I suggest taking it to a different level? Because the proverb is a part of a whole. It's a, it's a part of the wisdom of God. It's in the scriptures that's, that's even greater when you get into the rest of the scripture, all pointing to the God, the source of wisdom, but to Jesus as the personification of it for you and I to see. And so I wonder if it would help. Create space in your heart and your imagination. If you chose in your mind a place that you love walking along, some path, some trail, somewhere, and you're walking on that path and Jesus is with you, now, because of my Middle Eastern heritage, I wouldn't mind if he put his arm around me and we walked the whole way. For some of you, that freaked you out, so that doesn't have to happen, and he would know that. But just wonder, if you let your imagination go, and instead of a father or son thing, it may be just you and Jesus are walking on that trail, and the words that he speaks to you, these words of wisdom come in, the, in, this, in that context, and there's nobody around but the two of you for the rest of this morning and for the messages that follow. With this all as our backdrop, I'm going to read my paraphrased version of the first few verses of Proverbs in chapter 1. You could follow along or just listen by turning to Proverbs 1 in the app in your own Bible or page 460, 481, 481 in the Bible in front of you. Imagine that Jesus were saying this to you. Do you trust me? Do you realize that the things I say are to teach you? 
wisdom and discipline to help you understand the insights of the wise, to teach you to live a disciplined and successful life, to help you to do what is right and just and fair. My words will give insight even to the simple-minded if they're willing, let alone knowledge and discernment to the young if they're listening. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and these parables. It starts by truly trusting me and respecting me. That is the foundation of wisdom. But sadly, fools don't want true wisdom or any sort of discipline that calls for denying themselves of anything. Those words are just the start. They set the stage for what is to come in the rest of the book and the rest of the series. And as you read Proverbs as a whole, or even study wisdom and foolishness as a whole throughout the scriptures, there are a couple things I would like to highlight for us that set the stage for the rest of the series. The first is this. There is a difference between the wisdom of this world and that which comes from God. Proverb after proverb describes the difference between one who thinks they are right, but they are foolish, as opposed to those who actually choose wisely. And the result of the actions between the two are different night and day. Fools are often described as being quick-tempered. They tear down others. They reject any kind of feedback or input and talk far more than they listen. Every relationship a fool has, every relationship a fool has is negatively impacted one way or the other. Compare that with this description of the fruit of godly wisdom that the book of James highlights. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. You could rewrite that passage from James in the opposite and say this is the way a fool would live. No peace, there's division, there's strife, etc., etc. We live in a world of foolishness, often parading itself as wisdom. It was the same in Solomon's day. And it's nothing new. In fact, about 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to become truly wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. As Pastor Warren Wearsby said some time ago, we live in an information age, but we actually aren't living in the age of wisdom. There is a difference between the wisdom of this world, that which comes from God, and that which comes from God, which is so, it's just why we so desperately need his wisdom to discern the difference and live in this world. And thankfully, the second point is that wisdom is available. 
Godly wisdom is available to you and to, to me. And once again, we turn to the words that James wrote. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. God isn't stingy with wisdom. It's there for the asking and worth doing all it takes to get it. That, that posture of doing everything it takes to pursue wisdom um, comes out in the way Solomon actually personifies wisdom in, in a portion of the Proverbs. He says this as he has this conversation with his son or his children. Don't turn your backs on wisdom, for she, he personifies wisdom, will protect you. Love her, and she, wisdom, will guard you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She calls out to those who listen. He, he, he paints a picture. She's on the road calling out. She's at the city gates. She's at the crossroads calling out to all who will listen. I love that imagery. Everywhere we turn, wisdom calls out to those who have a listening ear. And that's the key leading us to the third piece. The most significant difference between a fool and one who is wise is listening, is being teachable. Solomon said it this way in chapter 12, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Fools hate to be corrected, and that's our human bent. Wise, godly people receive correction. Fools react when they're instructed. People who are wise are attentive to instruction. It all begins when we trust the source of wisdom because it's coming from the heart of God and keeping our ear and our heart tuned to his heart to hear wisdom. Being attentive to his direction in our lives is the bottom line throughout the series because wisdom will play, uh, will play out in our relationships, our relationship with God next week, our relationship with ourselves. Are we seeing ourselves in a wise manner or in a foolish manner that has an impact? And then thirdly, in all of our relationships. Are we making wise choices in our relationships or are we making foolish choices? The primary focus of the series is pretty much inward is am I the one making wise choices or foolish choices, trusting God and therefore honoring him as I live out the way he intended me to live and how those choices are affecting all of my relationships. It's primarily focused inward, but someday we could do a series on how we relate to those the book of Proverbs says are simpletons, fools, mockers, or even evil. How do I make wise choices when I have a relationship with them. It's a family member, it's a co-worker, it's a neighbor, fill in the blank. And until we have that series someday, I offer a few simple recommendations. First, I highly recommend just three chapters, the last three chapters in the book Bold Love by Dan Allender and Dr. Tremper Longman. Those chapters are titled Loving an Evil Person, loving a fool, and loving a normal sinner. They are very practical and they're profound. Secondly, I recommend this. Immerse yourself in, the, in this month's study guide on godly wisdom. 
use the reading plan, memorize one or more of the Proverbs for you to recall over and over again to keep your mind centered and tuned to the heart of God. And do as James said, ask God for wisdom. And thirdly, as you have these people in your life, simply process this with an older, mature, wiser follower of Jesus. Their insights, I'm sure, will help you take the next step and to be able to choose wisely in the midst of what could be a very difficult environment. And once again, those verses come back to mind. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I think the saddest part of this whole series will be that Solomon blew it. Solomon absolutely destroyed his life and his family and the nation with which he ruled. He had power and authority as a king. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. He had an unlimited amount of money, and he had wisdom. God had placed it in his lap. But over time, one foolish decision after another foolish decision after another led to foolish living. And it totally messed up his family and the nation in which he was a king. The Bible does not shield us from Solomon's mistakes. His sinful, foolish choices, though, don't negate the words of wisdom that he wrote and that he compiled, which is kind of crazy. If anything, I believe they bring more meaning to you and to me. And I'm guessing if Solomon were to show up today, he would say something like this. Don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. I began by trusting God, but over time, I made one stupid choice after another, and I blew it. Instead, follow the lead of Joshua. He is known to have followed the Lord wholeheartedly till his last breath. And so did the leaders he led with and led after he passed. Solomon tells us that wisdom is calling out in the streets, at the street corner, and the city gates. Is your heart and my heart tuned to the call of wisdom in our lives? And am I choosing wisdom or foolishness even today? Lord, help us to make those wise choices. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful people for the examples, even the bad ones because I am one foolish decision away from another foolish decision, which then could lead to a foolish life. You can always redeem, you could always bring us back, but Father, help us today even, even as we leave today and step out into the world to be considering, am I listening to and choosing wisely or am I being a fool? Thank you for loving us and providing wisdom when we ask in Jesus' name.